the Master's in Counseling Program at Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling present this podcast as a resource for aspiring and current professionals, as well as members of the greater community. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent those of Multnomah University or its faculty of Alternative Behavioral Therapy or New Pattern Counseling. Smart Counsel is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Counsel has been produced by Reese Basimio and Joshua Moore. Inside my head And are these things that I despise But to be broken isn't such a bad disguise You can't break down can't give in All you need is love Welcome to Smart Counsel Forgiveness, Abuse, and Abuse of Forgiveness Smart Counsel is a podcast providing perspectives and resources to providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma I'm Reese, And I'm Joshua Moore And we are here with Crispin Mayfield How's it going? Good Good uh, Crispin, tell us a little bit about yourself and what is your corner of the counseling field? All right. I have been licensed for a little over a couple years now. I currently am at an ADHD clinic, which is really fun. I um, really enjoy working with that population. And uh, we do a lot of assessment, which is also really fun. It's like a puzzle each week uh, to figure out what the true diagnosis is. Uh-huh. But also I do a lot of trauma work as well. Um, And so um, that's something that has really been something close to my heart, both uh, in my clinic, but also um, within the church. So um, we were just talking earlier about, Mm. yeah, ways that the church can um, care for people that have been through trauma better. Um, And so that really is another piece that has been really important to me. That sounds fascinating. I want to sit and listen to you for hours and hours. (laughs) (laughs) So today, we I'm really glad you're here. Your work is fascinating, and I'm glad people do your work because I don't do it very well. So, <laughs> And you're a Multnomah alumni as well, aren't you? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was part of the second graduating class. Oh, wow. You were indeed. So cohort mm-hmm. two. Yes. Okay. Right. All right. Well, here we are, three Multnomah Mac alumni in a room uh, talking about... I think we all have our undergraduate from Multnomah as well. I believe we do. Yes, yep. Yes. <laughs> okay. There's right. six degrees in this six room. Degrees. All from Multnomah. Six degrees in Multnomah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about forgiveness and abuse. So I wanted to bring this topic up because it's important. Forgiveness is a topic that comes up periodically in a client room. Uh, anytime we talk about relationships, usually there's often talk about conflict, which means there's often talk about this wound or that fight or that trauma or this abuse or that offense or something like that. And it's all very serious. And sometimes the conversation gets to a place where we might talk about forgiveness or some some sort of well, I've been angry at this person, but I shouldn't be, or we've been like cut off from each other, but maybe we shouldn't be, and maybe we should do something about that. And this this big word gets thrown around a whole lot. And it seems it, really simple, like when you're listening to it from you know, from from a sermon. And then I don't yes. know, in my office it feels really complex. 
<laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yes. Would you, yes, Chris would agree. Definitely. Too. Okay. So maybe we can start with just some definitions. So when we use this really big F word forgiveness, <laughs> what is it? Yeah, I was thinking about this. And really, th- this really doesn't cover the breadth of it all. It's a really complex concept. But I would say not holding um, a person's past against them or their past actions against them. And forgiveness may be defined differently by other people. And some of those, would you classify those as like maybe a thinking error uh, related to forgiveness or there's some fallacies around forgiveness. We could talk about those fallacies. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Uh, Like I can think of one off the top of my head, like uh, forgiveness is what to forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and everyone's nodding like that's probably not true. Right. <laughs> you know? I know, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we probably should talk a little about maybe some of the misconceptions of forgiveness. Yes, yeah. Maybe well. the, the best way is to talk about what it's not. Uh-huh. I and feel like that's easier. It's yeah, easier sure, to say what sure. forgiveness is not than. But we'll have to loop around. <laughs> we will, right, we will yeah. come back. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so what are some things that forgiveness is not? Uh, Josh, you started with one. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, And the reason why uh, I feel that way is because I see a lot of people in codependent enabling relationships um, that feel like that they have to continue to let this person in their lives uh, have control over them because that's the only definition of forgiveness that they can muster up. And we could give a lot of examples as to what that looks like. Domestic violence, like any spectrum. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is he going to say he's sorry and want to come back home? Mm Mm-hmm. Probably at some point. Mm-hmm. Is that a common variable? And does that usually mean that uh, that he's changed? Mm-hmm. Not typically. Yeah, we'd want to see evidence anyway. Yeah, evidence. Yeah. So, so forgiveness uh, incorporates needing to see evidence to to change boundaries or to mm-hmm. to let someone back in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking working with that idea of forgiveness is not holding someone's past against them. Um, Haravas, Stanley Haravas, uh, is this theologian, and he says that uh, forgiveness is actually a really offensive thing, um, especially if the other person doesn't agree that you really (laughs) that uh, that they have wronged you, right? So in that sense, like um, I and I I was uh, I've been reading a lot of Dr. King lately. Yes. Um, and, and thinking about that in terms of forgiveness and he's like, I'm ready to forgive you, but I, let's make it clear, like what wrong has been done here and, mm-hmm. and society, especially white society is saying like, and that's Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, is saying like, no, 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 no. Like you need to just forgive. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to forgive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Yes. Right. So I'm going to throw in another forgiveness fallacy, which is saying that forgiveness means, well, everything's just okay now. Right. And thinking institutional system, systemic racism, it's not okay. It's never going to be okay that it has happened. I'm thinking about domestic violence. Yes. It's not okay. It will never be okay that it's happened. And yet forgiveness can still happen. But it, but yeah, it's not, it's not forgetting that it's happened because we need to learn from it. And it's not saying that it's just okay because... It's not okay. We're not putting ourselves in bodily harm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. again, necessarily right. without some more assurances or boundaries. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really it. Forgiveness isn't minimizing what happened, right? It's mm-hmm. not uh, ignoring what happened yeah. either. And minimizing sounds like its own one right there too, right? Mm-hmm. It's not forgetting. It's just minimizing. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not good either. Mm-hmm. You know? right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could totally see where forgiveness can be really offensive though. Uh, yeah. In that... A wrong has been done. 
And the the just thing is to see that wrong punished or to see a consequence happen because of that wrong. Uh, forgiveness is thwarting the process of justice uh, in favor of mercy, grace, some sort of opportunity for, for healing, restoration, restitution, uh, which, I mean, those are all great things. And on one level, we like them. But then on this other deep limbic animalistic level, we, we really love our sense of justice. And so mm-hmm. whenever anything wants to thwart our sense of justice, like, that's really disorienting. Are you thinking about like Jonah or something? No, I was thinking of okay. you know racism and things. But, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> but we could go My mind went to Jonah. I was like, oh. Well, Jonah, I mean, there was racism there with Jonah, right? Was, Basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for, for our, our, our non-religious listeners, so we are referencing the biblical account of Jonah in which a Hebrew prophet is sent to preach a message to their worst enemies, the Assyrians, and basically say, yes, God is going to show mercy to you, and which was very offensive to him. Jonah was very, very upset. He was very upset (laughs) because God was telling him, I want to show mercy to your enemies. And he was like, what? And then there was a story of the fish. Yes. (laughs) That was also there. That was also there. (laughs) So... But anyway, okay, so so we've established that uh, forgiveness is not forgetting, forgiveness is not minimizing and just saying everything's okay. Any other fallacies or things that forgiveness is not? I've commonly heard forgiveness is not reconciliation. Yes. Which is true, um, but I think that we also need to, like, look at that a little bit deeper, which I think we're going to do in a couple of minutes, right? I think, and related to that, I would say forgiveness is not the same as trust, and now I'm thinking about a case of working with a per- with an addicted person, uh, whether you are the addicted person's family member or clinician or other. There are not all the time, but in many situations, there are cases where an addicted person will will lie or will manipulate or will make repeated efforts to sustain recovery and not be able to make it. Often there will be promises to make change that are not followed through on. And I think it's very possible to still maintain a relationship there that is healthy, nurturing, and and supportive. But it would not be trusting because there's no evidence that this addicted person can be relied upon. Yeah, and that goes back to that, like you're living in the light of like the way things really are, right? You're not pretending like things are okay, mm-hmm. nor are you writing that person off. You're saying, I forgive you. Yeah. You know, I you've wronged me. You know, it might even be you you've wronged me again and again. And I'm not gonna trust you, but that doesn't mean that I don't forgive you and doesn't even necessarily necessarily mean relational cutoff. Necessarily. So we still have to live in reality with forgiveness. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so wonder. So we've been talking around this idea of forgiveness and saying a couple of things that it's not to hopefully yes. give it a little bit of shape. Um, what do we think forgiveness is? Or are we are we able to say that? Well, go ahead and repeat your first definition, and we can elaborate on it. Not holding someone's past against okay. them. Would it be Would it be fair to say forgiveness is? Well, if you are if you're the offended person, and say you ha- you would then because you're the offended person, you have a right to demand justice or enact consequence. Would you say forgiveness then is the relinquishing of that right to enact consequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I would say it's. Uh, I mean, another way would be giving someone another chance. Mm-hmm. Another chance again isn't the same as trust. Um, isn't necessarily the same as reconciliation. Right. But you are you're giving them another chance you you're not totally writing them off as a person Mm -hmm. 
Are there exceptions? There might be. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm thinking about uh, where we have safety issues. Are there offenses where you would still report things to the police? I think we will get there. Sorry, I just, I'm, it's burning in my mind. So I'm yeah. <laughs> well, well. So I'll I'll, I'll spoil my argument a little bit, or say sure. this in a very nonlinear way. But I'm gonna. My my thought is that. If you're practicing forgiveness, yes, and I, and I think it is very much a practice. It's not a one-time decision that's done and then it's done for all time. It's right. mm-hmm. uh, if you want to practice forgiveness, it's it's something you need to cultivate, something you need to work out, and so maybe it's a, it's a decision you make in your head every day for a lot of years. You're choosing to relinquish your right to demand justice or enact justice because you don't want to be angry with a person you don't want to be at war with a person you don't want to be engaged in that conflict anymore and so in a sense one we could say forgiveness is you leaving the war leaving the battle and choosing not to fight anymore so to your point josh is there still a point where you would say say it's the the victim of domestic violence um that person chooses to forgive their abuser uh would they would that victim still call in to report them to adult protective services child protective services and i would say right. yeah i think there, there's room for that and yeah absolutely in that i think a a goal of forgiveness is to practice love practice mm-hmm. compassion and consider the best interests of, of the other person ultimately which in some cases might be you know they they're a harm to themselves and it would be more harmful to them to leave them in their cycle of harming themselves and harming others. And mm-hmm. yeah. the short-term, very painful thing of involving the authorities could actually lead to the long-term benefit of, and they might change because of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so, yeah. and I, I think I, I think your answer was satisfying because that that feels right. We're, without that variable, it doesn't feel perfect to me. You know, okay, <laughs> right? And you said something. You we're we've been pitting uh, forgiveness against justice, mm-hmm. and I I don't think that's quite on point. I think right. we can pit forgiveness against punishment, okay, while still working towards justice. Justice right. in this, and, um, and forgiveness might ultimately still even go back to a heart thing too, where mm. I know you've done this wrong to me, but I won't hold it over your head mm-hmm. uh, it might be in the way you interact with them when you're visiting them in prison right. uh, but may not be the fact that they are whether they're going to prison or not mm-hmm. <laughs> so. right <laughs> one way that i've thought of it is wishing the best for that person mm-hmm. that's a good idea right and mm-hmm. so um yeah wishing the best for them doesn't like you said doesn't mean allowing them to continue to harm themselves or someone else and you can wish the best for them and at the same time hold them accountable it's true and you can do that from a distance right yeah Yeah. right (laughs) definitely yeah so so forgiveness it's not forgetting it's not minimizing or dismissing it's not saying everything's okay it's not dismissing justice it's or not dismissing or justice, around justice. Uh, it's maybe relinquishing or stepping away from punishment and not choosing to enact that but then it's a change of internal perspective toward instead of wanting the other person's demise now hoping for their best interest which could include which could include justice systems and the justice system and could include allowing some natural consequences yes right um holding the long the long-term view of what is in their best interest mm-hmm. yeah i once heard someone say uh if it's not healthy for you it's not healthy for them mm-hmm. and i think that is generally true and so keeping that in mind if 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 this you know you're forgiving them but it's it's really harming you is it really good for them mm-hmm. and is so that forgiveness is not also we could say forgiveness is not 
a form of self-sacrifice. Yeah. Um, I feel, I hesitate saying it, but, huh. but in some ways forgiveness is supposed to be freeing for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and that if it's harming you, it might not be forgiveness. Is that, is that right? I think so. Okay. I hesitate too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I think that there is this sense of, um, I think that most in situations, most reconciliation requires risk. Yes. Right. So I think we can't necessarily say that, um, well, this actually is something I've thought about quite a bit. So God has um, this unconditional love for us where he risks himself because he loves us. And whether you're a Christian or not, um, whether you're religious or not, a lot of us have this idea that that this idea of divine love or unconditional love, right? Mm-hmm. Where we love enemies. We never come to the point where we're like, that person is beyond hope, right? We want to, going back to Dr. Martin Luther King, always invite people into the beloved community, right? Mm-hmm. So we're always wanting to see their humanity um, and see the good in them. I like the idea of like uh, forgiveness, meaning like looking for like the, the very best of a person. And I wonder if there's a way, or you're talking about unconditional love, as you know, seeing the very best in a person, and I wonder if there's a way that that unconditional love can go a step further and demand the very best of a person. And again, considering the long-term view, like not just what's their best right now, what makes them happiest right now, but what is what is the full fullest version of themselves in the long run. And if I truly love that person, that is what I will want for them, and that may come at cost to them, it may come at cost to me interchangeably. But if I love them, that that's what I will be pursuing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think the other thing I was thinking about with that is that we, with that ideal, it is like moving towards reconciliation does require risk. And I think that's a value that many of us have. Mm-hmm. So the question is like, w- when do we risk and when do we not? Yeah. I want to, I want to cover that, but before we get yeah. into reconciliation, which is where <laughs> you're taking us, uh, I have one more question about forgiveness that uh, I want to hash out a bit. Does forgive is forgiveness a a solo or a duet? Can a person do forgiveness by themselves, or do they need a person with them? Yeah, that's a good question. Do you mm. have to have the other party's participation in order mm. to forgive? Which I think the answer is going to be different for reconciliation. But yeah, right. And that's where I think um, forgiveness. Going back to that idea of forgiveness is offensive if the other person doesn't acknowledge there is an yeah. offense that's committed, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and we, you've maybe had a friend or, or a sibling that's like, "I forgive you for doing this to me," and you're like, um, "But you know, I think there's that question even like, do you can you forgive with it with without having any contact with that person?" Uh-huh. I think yes. Yeah. Right. You can think- wish wish the best for them. You can rel- relinquish that. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to have any sort of interaction with them. Mm-hmm. I, I do can't I can't help but wonder also if if forgiveness can be offensive just because they can't accept it. It's it's uh, it's it's unfounded in their in their their mindset. They don't have a schema for that. I know we've maybe we've seen Hollywoodized versions of that, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, did, did he cover that, or 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 uh, the person that you quoted? Did he? Do you think that he ever talked about that or referenced that? It's been a long time. Like if somebody since had committed, let's say someone kills your kid and you choose to forgive them at some point in the justice process, I think some people have a really hard time grasping that level of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that it really uh, can put you in a powerless spot, a yeah. feeling of, of powerlessness. 
Yeah. If you're the person being forgiven after something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you have this idea that I, you know, I earn disarming, right. Yeah. I'm ready for a different encounter mm-hmm. and I have no, I have no like program for this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be very jarring. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we tend to I feel like humans tend to really easily internalize shame narratives that go way beyond just, Oh, I've done something really bad done something really bad oh i must be really bad and it, it, we get there really easily and it seems like someone else practicing forgiveness toward us has the potential to undo that narrative which ultimately would be really good and really freeing but there's the process of undoing which is just scrambling all your emotions you know reforming all these neural networks around shame and so it's just a really strenuous rigorous very neurological experience <laughs> yes, yes to be yeah. forgiven and to really receive it we have this internalized shame narrative we do that really easily and i think we internally we have this sense of justice also where you know we we, we know when we've done wrong we know when we've screwed someone over and we know when we're worthy of some sort of punishment or some sort of consequence and and again when that is withheld from us you know that's mercy that's grace we we that's that's a good thing but it's also it's a thwarting of the normal justice process and which is disorienting mm-hmm. yeah. so right yeah. yeah absolutely and there are probably some people that would rather defend their innocence to the grave Mm -hmm. even if they know that what they did was wrong if they have that defense mechanism Mm -hmm. that's keeping them from trying to keep them from feeling shame Mm -hmm. right then forgiveness is gonna feel super uncomfortable yeah yeah some of my some of my most vulnerable moments have definitely been when i I know I've, i've hurt someone deeply and they choose to forgive me and not be angry with me and then pursue relationship with me after that it's very disorienting Ultimately, it's great and it's enriching and there's a lot of intimacy and trust and safety that can follow that. But in the initial aftermath of that, I'm just like, what is going on? And like, this is not right. And I feel really weird. I want right. to run away. Yeah. As you said that, I like notice like my chest kind of tends up <laughs> and like release the air. Like yeah. it's, it is really uncomfortable. It can be unwelcomely vulnerable to be forgiven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Because it means you've been known in a very deep, very vulnerable, very dark sort of way but not ultimately rejected. Yeah. And that's weird. It's good, but it's really weird. So it's sounding like we're saying that the the practice of forgiveness can be practiced by an individual, regardless of the other person, regardless of the offender's yes. participation or not. Because ultimately it's a decision you make for yourself about how you're going to regard the person. And it's a discipline you practice on your own, um, which is convenient if your offender is in another country or say dead or not at all willing to speak. That's with a really you. good point. Didn't even mm-hmm. cross my mind. What if the offender is not live? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who uh, was in an abusive relationship. Um, they were engaged, uh, broke it off, um, but they worked in the same office building. And uh, she wow. told me after two years, she was like, "It was when I saw him and I didn't feel anything." that I knew I'd forgiven him. So it wasn't this like, oh, I feel love for him or we're going to be friends or, but just that she didn't have that intense hatred, anger reaction in her heart that she was like, all right, this, this feels like forgiveness because I feel free. Mm -hmm. That raises, that raises a really interesting question that I, I actually have. How much of it is a choice and how much of it is a feeling? I would be reluctant to ascribe much of this to feelings. Okay. Because feelings are shifty and tumultuous and sometimes lie yeah <laughs> this is very true it's funny i'm on the other and i'm like 
I think that you just need to, when, when anger comes up, you accept it. And you also, you, you accept that it's there and then you say goodbye to it when it leaves. So I think it's I, not I holding. I think we, maybe I'm, maybe not, maybe I'm not in the middle, but maybe I actually believe there are two terms. Mm. Um, like I, I do wonder if the forgiveness that might be practiced in one culture might be ascribed to your perspectives, uh, Crispin, and then another Reese in yours. And I think they are maybe two individual concepts that maybe we use the same term with, hmm. theoretically. Yeah, it might <laughs> depend on the context of the relationship, too, because I think the, the version I'm thinking of where it's not a feeling, it's a choice, it's a practice, it's a discipline, might make more sense if there is a really tangible component to it. Like, I know we're not specifically talking money terms, but like if, if, I, if I forgive a debt, that's a very tangible thing, regardless of feelings. I'm just saying, okay, you don't owe me anymore. Right. Um, or if somebody owes me some some manner of tangible physical restitution, and if I say I don't need that anymore, I'm good without that. That can be done without feelings. And you you could have lots of negative feelings and still choose to do that. You can yeah, you can then, choose to. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, it's maybe the the less sophisticated version where you're just letting the person off the hook. You're not doing any internal disciplines or anything. You're just yeah. making a choice to to let them be okay whereas thinking of, of your of your approach Crispin, it does seem like there's more sophistication maybe more internal work that goes with that because mm-hmm. it's actually it's actually you that's changing and that that road sounds like it would be a lot longer yeah mm-hmm. right yeah and i think it is it's it's those feelings come up and you choose to not hold on to them any longer than they're there and that would require learning to process the feelings developing some emotional intelligence and maybe some, counseling yes. practicing, <laughs> you might, you might practicing yeah. mindfulness yeah right mindfulness and ACT yeah. yeah right so we've been talking about forgiveness and uh, circling around this idea of forgiveness as a choice to regard the person well and to to value their their long-term best interest even in spite of wrongs they've done to you not minimizing not forgetting and that's kind of our operating idea of what forgiveness is. It's a, it can be an individual discipline. So then what is reconciliation? I think that goes back to, I'm not going to hold the past against you. And we are working towards wholeness, relational healing, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's forgiveness and then there's relational healing. Mm-hmm. And that is a process. Right. Forget- Does it involve amends? I would say yes. I think I would agree. If we're saying forgiveness is that internal process you do that doesn't require the other person's participation, and then there is a step beyond that, I would I'd say reconciliation can't truly cannot truly happen unless forgiveness has happened. And amends, obviously, if if they're forgiven, isn't something that's expected by the first party. But I imagine that there's some sort of demonstration of remorse, which may naturally have amends. Yeah, I wonder what, I mean, it depends on what we mean by amends. Right? I, I think, I'm thinking of an extraordinarily broad term. It might just be spending time with that individual or... Yeah, or amends, you know, making right. And, it, and it's a very broad term. It would depend yeah. a lot on what was owed. Um, I'm thinking if it was a, if I offend you by breaking your window, then amends would be I come and fix your window. Yeah, um, or I can't afford to fix your window, so maybe he... Mows your lawn, right? You right. know, some some sort of show of gratitude, or yeah. or, or no, no, not necessarily gratitude. I'm really making this up as I go here. Right. <laughs> but I think, but there's re- some sort of relational reciprocation. I think reconciliation focuses on the present, not the past. Mm-hmm. 
And so okay. it's not it's not about, you know, fixing the broken window, but yeah. it is about okay, so here we are now. I can't undo what I did before. You are not holding that against me. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a healthy relationship right now. This right. isn't this isn't good. <laughs> There's no trust. There's no trust, right? So how how can I build trust? Um, you know, there is this sense in how can I make yeah. it right? So amends isn't necessarily paying back something, but it might be whatever act to build trust. I think that's that's far better definition than yeah. what was in my head. Right. <laughs> Maybe a demonstration. Yes. Of, yeah. Exactly. Right. That feels right. A tangible, ongoing demonstration that change has happened. Um, because of what I'm when I'm thinking reconciliation, I'm thinking you know like you had said, Crispin, you're working toward relational wholeness, essentially repairing a ruptured relationship. And in order for that rupture to be repaired, amends need to be made. To be made, trust needs to be rebuilt. Probably the the offending party, or maybe both parties, because likely, mm-hmm. oftentimes there's offense on both sides. Not always. Right. Both parties need to change in some way, and that change needs to be demonstrated and verified, usually over time. Right. Yeah. So, so it's not automatic. It's not automatic. <laughs> right. It's not one choice. And, <laughs> I, and I think so. Even in terms of um, so thinking about like abuse situations with with kids uh, and their parents, and thinking about you know uh, some of the adult survivors of child abuse that I work with. It's in fact sometimes the the offending parents get stuck in this like how can I make it up to my kid. Yes. How can I how can I pay it back? How can I, you know, how can I restore what was broken, mm-hmm. etc., right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going for this more justice orientation. Uh. And a lot of times they just get stuck in their own shame. They're like, "Well, I can't do that, so there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do." And the survivor oftentimes if they love their parent, they're not looking for it to be made up. They're looking for their parent to say just to own up to what they did and say, "Here's what I'm willing to do now." Mm-hmm. To make our future better, yeah. I'm I'm not expecting you to make the past better, but I'm expecting you to put in the effort so that we have a better future. Right. That makes a lot of sense because to do otherwise to to say, well, I'm going to make it up to you for this abuse that I did, almost sounds like you can, you're saying, and I can put a price on abuse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or like now we're good. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that um a lot of adult survivors of child abuse, they, they would love for their parent to say that, to say, you know, I'm sorry for what I did and and here's what I'm willing to do to make our relationship better in the future. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, I, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold the past against you because I, you know, I'm glad that we are able to be reconciled. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't I don't necessarily this is this isn't representative of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no everyone has their own unique experience. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to looking at family relationships and abuse and reconciliation, it's like, okay, how do we address what's going on right now? And how can I trust that you're going to do what's best for me in the future? So I'm glad that abuse has come up because abuse, uh, among all offenses, abuse is the, is the nuclear warhead of, of, of offenses, especially if it's sexual abuse. I mean, all abuse is bad, but sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse is particularly toxic. And we sort of just kind of seamlessly like eased our way into talking about this. But I want to acknowledge that as we're talking about resolving conflicts and forgiving offenses, there there's a pretty broad spectrum. You know, there's a big difference between, oh, I, I broke your kitchen window with my baseball when I was eight to, and, you know, like I, I molested your child or I molested you. And to to forgive somebody 
a harsh word that they've said to forgive somebody you know from stealing money is one thing you know to forgive a domestic violence abuser or a childhood sexual abuse abuser there's a difference of, of degree that's quite large i think and that was one of the things i wanted to talk about here too is you know we're talking about forgiveness reconciliation and you know putting some terms on it and it's a little bit of an idealized conversation i'm wondering how to work through this topic with somebody who has experienced really horrific abuse of various sorts as a child etc do the same rules apply for mm. example or should extra considerations be made or should the pacing and timing be different for someone who's experienced some really extreme things what do you think i think first off it should be said that forgiveness is only truly forgiveness if it is uh given a free choice mm-hmm. right so i think it is just from a religious context it's so common and i think in popular culture as well you need to forgive right mm-hmm. and if someone's doing it because they have to mm-hmm. first of all that's re-traumatizing right and secondly that's um that's not really getting at the heart of what forgiveness is yeah that is so tricky because forgiveness is a really good thing and again on a deeper level we, we kind of all have a sense of that like it's good to forgive like it's good to be generous but you know generosity can be exploited forgiveness can be obligated prematurely mm-hmm. and right. not in a healthy way yeah i mean it's it's uh I've, I've heard people say that it's parallel to poisoning yourself when you're not forgiving and um so it's a good thing to reach forgiveness but it's a process um and by some definitions it could be a very very long process mm-hmm. you know if we're, if we're waiting to feel differently that should not be rushed <laughs> For sure. and things might get worse before they get better and there's this idea of precipitous forgiveness uh which is where you forgive too soon mm. there are a lot of dynamics of that different ways that that can play out one way would be you're doing it because you're not actually looking at all the harm done and saying, I forgive you. It's like, I just, I want to move past this, so I'm going to forgive. The other is, in that precipitous forgiveness, if it's just this automatic, like, I forgive you, it's fine. Those things are going to come up later. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to, unless you really dig in and understand, like, the true extent of the harm and both parties understand, Mm -hmm. that precipitous forgiveness will just replay some of the patterns going forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe in contrast to that idea of premature forgiveness that's done maybe quickly just to get it over with and regarded as here's a one-time decision I'm making. Um, I've also heard com- forgiveness compared to uh, a living thing that, that grows in you over over time. Mm. And and again, it's it's, it's, it's seen as it's, it's a discipline, it's a practice. You maybe have to re-forgive the person every day, but every day that you do it, it becomes a more real thing and that inner transformation happens more completely. And again, it, it might be a process that takes decades, but it but it grows in you and you become the kind of person who, who forgives and to, who heals from, from the wound. But, but yeah, it, it takes time, years, decades. So thinking about work with clients, clients who have experienced lots of trauma, severe abuse of various sorts, what would be helpful and not helpful measures that clinicians could take in the client room. I actually have this chart that I got from Jim Velez. <laughs> I'm thinking about that chart. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Have you seen it, Crispin? Uh-huh. The Road to Forgiveness. Okay. Shout outs to Jim Velez. It's ridiculous. It's, it's really complicated, which is a good thing. Uh, so, <laughs> but oftentimes uh, they will feel a sense of relief, especially if they're coming from a religious background. 
when you show them this chart and all the various pitfalls and traps and complex twists and winds and turns and forks in the road, etc., that lead towards a sense of forgiveness. Um, and I say a sense of forgiveness because we're talking about the feelings, getting to the point where those feelings are 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 changed, and there's a maybe I don't know I don't want to say neutral or positive, but there's there's a healing that occurs there with those feelings. Yeah, and I think you can get a I don't know, I'll, I'll 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 go ahead and just put it on blast. You can go to feelingsunlimited.com and buy some of these resources. Mm. I'm sure Jim Velez will appreciate that I threw it out there. Uh-huh. But feelingsunlimited.com has a lot of cool, interesting uh, charts and graphs and things like that. So, so it sounds like a helpful thing can be uh, just a psychoeducational component about, you know, like we've been talking about what forgiveness is, what it is not. It sounds like it's definitely not a simple linear decision. Yeah. Uh, it's a very complex, nonlinear, up and down, reg- sometimes regressive process. Yeah. Right. Defining it can bring uh, a lot of maybe uh, relief to some acute distress. I think when I think about uh, working with clients, um, a lot of times they have not um, been able to acknowledge the extent of harm done. Yeah. Right. And so that's where I would start, and which really has nothing to do with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Well, not not like immediately. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and just working through that, and and because they. Um, you know, if we're talking about sexual abuse, usually that's embedded in a family system mm-hmm. that it has uh, diminished or minimized the impact of the abuse, right? And so I'd say the first step is just recognizing, hey, this is a big deal. And they know that internally, right? But there's this hesitance to really, I don't want to say like accept it, but to to talk about it, um, to bring it to their awareness, to look at um, how ugly it's been mm-hmm. for them and how harmful it's been for them. Yeah, bringing to light the things that have happened so that they can be fully acknowledged and not, and unhidden. Yeah. Now, on that note, I'm thinking about to what you and I were, were talking about earlier about, and you, you were talking about a difference between a, an abuse victim coming to terms with just what happened and the full magnitude of it, and a difference between that and them coming out of denial about it. Would you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. So I've heard that term used where like trauma survivors need to come out of denial, which mm-hmm. is more of a chemical dependency <laughs> term. I will all speak uh, for myself as a trauma survivor. I knew that if talking about my own abuse uh, at the hands of a, an extended family member would bring a rift between me and my parents. So... In order to maintain that relationship, I, I forgave, mm-hmm. kind of, and was just like, it's not a big deal, let's just move on, mm. right? And I don't think that that was true forgiveness. Mm. That was me just trying to, like, hang on to these relationships with my mm. parents. Right, and hearing, hearing that story, so the way you describe that, it's more of a, more of a defense mechanism, you enact mm-hmm. to preserve relationships, to preserve safety. Right. Um, whereas same teenager is smoking weed, smoking crack, smoking meth, doing a whole bunch of acting out of that sort, and then being confronted about it and saying, I don't have a problem, I don't care. 
um, we might tell that we might say that that individual is in denial because right. they are denying that there's a problem. They're denying the magnitude of a problem. Yeah. Or I mean, I would even want to compare it to like an adult who's drinking all the time and mm. is like, no, it doesn't have an impact on my kids or my wife, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. So that that's, that's when that's I, a, that seems pretty, pretty, pretty parallel too. Right. When I think of when I think of denial, I think that's it. When I think of for me, like I didn't want to look at the abuse that occurred because that would be that would threaten the relationships in my family to talk about it or to right. bring it to light. Right. And I think at that time that made the most sense for me. It wasn't Problem I shouldn't solving. I shouldn't have had to do that, but it was what I did. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, it was you sort of like minimizing what was going on, hiding what was going on, but not because you were like irresponsible, rebellious, like fixated on getting what you want out of a deal as much as maybe more of a fear orientation of I might lose something really important. Right. And um, there's, there's usually a motivation behind minimizing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is a defense mechanism. So more unhelpful things would be demanding that the abuse victim just, just come out of denial mm-hmm. or just forgive quickly and get over it. Or maybe unhelpful to regard their their feelings about the abuser as the problem rather than the abuser as the problem. Right. There's the forgiving before there's a full inventory being done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a term for that. What was that again? But oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Precipitous I really, I just, I wanted to hear that one more time because I want yeah. to remember it. Right. Precipitous Pre- forgiveness. Precipitous forgiveness. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't remember the name of the author, but it's from a book called. Okay. Um, trauma treatment with the avoidant client referring to avoidant attachment yeah right and so more helpful things to do with a client working through the forgiveness reconciliation process would be again a lot of psychoeducation about what forgiveness is forgiveness versus trust forgiveness versus reconciliation forgiveness as a as a practice versus as a decision so that would be helpful uh, allowing feelings taking a full inventory of what happened, working with them to a place where they can recognize here's the full weight of, of what has happened. I think a lot of clients, in my experience, uh, they'll think about the initial trauma and they'll think all the cause and effect of the trauma has mm. caused things that were just as traumatizing, you know, right, or yeah. there's, there's some layers um, that maybe, you know, when you said precipitous forgiveness, I was thinking, wow, I mean, maybe we can forgive like all the pain that was caused from this one behavior, but not until we looked at all the peripheral trauma <laughs> that was caused, uh, you know, if there's a disorder or a personality disorder, if there's uh, lifelong anxiety or panic attacks or nightmares, that these things are also traumatizing, but mm. they, they didn't come out of nothing. It's hard to string them all together. It's hard to realize that they're all maybe potentially coming from one cohesive event. And I'm sure it's more complex than that, but... Right. Emotionally focused therapy is really interesting the goal hopefully i'm not butchering this of emotionally focused therapy is not to think about problems but to feel about them and so to have this experience in session it's like you know something about the brain (laughs) right yeah right and uh so you're you're um going you're guiding the client through the experience during session of looking at what are what are the emotions um what is you know essentially the harm so these things that they've been kind of avoiding or trying to you know have their defense mechanisms up against for good reason you're inviting them to actually engage and you know what it was like to be six years old and your mom not pick you up from school and how you felt terrified like she was never going to come back right and to engage in that and actually uh what what they find um leslie greenberg puts in there as one of the the phases of treatment is often it's not it doesn't have to be but there's often forgiveness after going through the experience forgiveness of the parent and she doesn't 
I don't even understand why. I can't like explain to you why, but it is it's something that she's noticed as like part of the what happens in that sort of treatment, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. So actually by like engaging with the harm done and the pain leads to again it's that like taking inventory of the harm done and then being able to release it. By reconnecting to the feelings, you're able to move through a forgiveness process. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. We should feel our feelings, really? <laughs> Who'd have thunk? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, any other thoughts or ideas about forgiveness, trust, reconciliation? Yeah, I think that um, I think that there are a lot of ways to work at forgiveness without talking about forgiveness because there is so much baggage. So it might be, um, you know, someone is is in there, you know, was harmed twenty years ago. Not saying that time determines like when someone should get over something, right? For sure. But, uh, you know, they're bringing up this anger over and over and over again. And rather than saying, oh, it sounds like you're not forgiving, ask, you know, what's that anger about? What's it mean to you? What impact does it have on your life? Um, and, and working towards forgiveness in this way where you don't mention forgiveness, they might come to say, oh, I feel like I've forgiven them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just trying to stay attuned to their internal emotional process without any sort of value judgments and, and also giving them permission to not forgive, if anything, mm-hmm. to say, you know, you don't have to forgive, but I want to pay attention to what's going on internally mm-hmm. because forgiveness so often is an outside construct that's pressure, like we said, from religious institutions, mm-hmm. from society, right? And so how can we work with them towards, towards healing and see if forgiveness comes out of that. Does that seem on point? Yeah, seems I sound. think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems sound. All right. Well, we will go ahead and call it there. We've said a lot of things about forgiveness, and we hope this has been helpful. It was uh, really great to have you here. It was really great. Thank you for joining <laughs> us and sharing your thoughts and your story. And we'll have to have you back for Definitely. other other topics that are going to be exciting. Thank you, listener, for following us. You can follow the podcast at on facebook we have a facebook page at smart council podcast and we have a twitter at smart council 601 more to come more to come next week we'll have more to come at smart council please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback and let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at Smart Council 601, and you can email us your questions and comments and feedback at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Joshua Moore can be found on the web at neurofeedbackcare.com and Reese Pissimio can be found on the web at newpatterncounseling.com. Thank you for listening to Smart Council.